Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our copies of God's Word and open once again to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This is a three-part series we are calling Teach Us to Pray, and the title of today's message is Everyday Thankfulness. Teach Us to Pray, that was the request of this unnamed disciple here in Luke 11. Came to Jesus and seemed to be a little bit jealous of his friends who were disciples of John the Baptist. He says, Lord, John the Baptist's disciples know how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? And of course, the Lord graciously answered that question. And we're grateful that the Holy Spirit inspired Dr. Luke to write down that response. We find it here in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Let's read it now. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, if you were here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that the first thing that we saw were the purposes of the model prayer. And there were three in number. First of all, the model prayer aligns our priorities with God's. Our priorities tend to have pronouns like me and mine. God's priorities have pronouns like thy and thine. And so he says, thy kingdom come. In all that we do, including our prayer life, we should aim at the glory of God. And by doing so, we humble our hearts before him even by coming to God and saying, give us to this day our daily bread, we're recognizing that we can't even sustain our own existence without the, Lord help, without the Lord's help. And then thirdly, it informs our relationships. As God forgives us, now we are able to forgive other people. And so our relationships, both horizontally and vertically, can be everything that the Lord wants them to be. And then last week, we looked at three questions that are answered by the model prayer. First, to whom are we to address our prayers. And we saw that it is a fool's errand to believe that you can pray to anyone or anything and be heard. That it's a misnomer to believe that all roads lead to heaven. They do not. And so Jesus taught us to pray to our heavenly father. That is the God of the Bible, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that we are to address him in very familial terms, our father, meaning that he is one who is predisposed to answer the prayers of his children. Second question was, whose glory do we seek in prayer? Do we pray simply that we may be famous, that we may be in the spotlight and enjoy the favor of people? No, we seek the Lord's glory. And then thirdly, why, what should we pray for? We saw two broad categories for provision and protection, both in the spiritual and the physical realm. Give us to stay our daily bread has to do with food, clothing, and shelter, Lead us not temptation has to do with sin and with spirituality. Now, that brings us to our text today. This is, of course, as we said a couple of times already, Thanksgiving week. And I don't want us to become cynical about these things. I am grateful, sincerely, that our nation still sets aside a day on the calendar to give thanks to God for his many blessings. 
And there are many blessings. But we know that thankfulness should not be confined for believers to the fourth Thursday in November. And so we look to the Bible, don't we, for direction in the area of thankfulness. What does the Bible say, if anything, about thankfulness? Well, it says quite a lot. For example, we are instructed and even commanded to give thanks. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Psalm 106.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now there are circumstances of life that we should give thanks specifically for when things are going well. For example, in 2 Chronicles 5.13, when the temple was finally finished, the people had given sacrificially of their own personal wealth, all of the artisans and uh, artists and people who were skilled gave of their time and energy and finally the building was finished and it was beautiful and the Lord was pleased with it and so they brought in the musical instruments, they brought in the choir and they thanked God for his provision. We ought to do that. When a baby's born, when someone comes to saving faith, when we get a raise at work, all of those are opportunities to give thanks to God. We also will give thanks when we dwell upon his attributes doesn't have to be something tangible that we've received. When we just dwell upon the beauty of Christ, we should give thanks. Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. Now, that includes, of course, the things that he has created as you look over the beauty of nature. Sometimes spontaneously, we just break out in praise and thanksgiving. But I think more specifically, when we dwell upon who he is, and what he's like, the fact that the God of the universe would condescend to communicate to creatures as lowly as we. That's a wonder to behold, and we ought to thank the Lord for that. But in the bad times, we can give thanks. Paul says, when you're anxious, give thanks. In fact, I believe thanksgiving is the antidote to anxiety, according to Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And Again, I say rejoice, let your moderation be known to all men, for the Lord is near. That is, He's present. He's not hiding from us. He's with us, as David said in the 23rd Psalm. He says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer with thanksgiving, make your deeds known unto God, and the result is the peace of God, which passes human comprehension, will stand guard over your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Now, the simple image there is of oil and water. They cannot exist in the same space. And so thanksgiving and anxiety will not exist in the same space. And so to the degree that we are thankful is to the degree that anxiety is pushed out of our life. To the degree that we let anxiety take over our life, our thankfulness diminishes. So he says, give thanks when you're anxious. In fact, if you want to just put a big bow around when we should give thanks, you can find that in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything. Now he doesn't say for everything. I've heard some people sort of misinterpret that. So, uh, you know, a bee stings them in the eye. Thank you, Lord. I really needed that. No, that, that's not what he means. He means in every circumstance we can maintain a thankful heart. That we can say, Lord, thank you, it wasn't both my eyes. I still have one. That is that we don't lose our sense of thankfulness just because negative circumstances happen. And then, of course, as I said, the time where all of creation gives praise, even the angels in heaven, 
is when a lost soul is saved. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, Paul says, I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. When Paul thought of that wicked city of Ephesus and that little band of believers clinging tenaciously to the gospel, he just smiled every time he thought about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that little outpost of Christians. He said the same thing in his introduction to the book of Philippians. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you with every prayer with thanksgiving, right? He, he just was continuously thankful that the Lord was saving the lost. So most of us have been taught that we should include prayers of thanksgiving in our prayer lives. I don't think I'm breaking any new theological ground when I say we need to be more thankful. And because we know we should be thankful and because we know the Bible is full of commandments to be thankful, it's a little surprising to me that in the model prayer we don't have an explicit section on thanksgiving. Now we do have a section on the holiness of God. We do have a section on the Lord meeting our needs. We do have a section on forgiveness and we do have a section on protection, but there's not an explicit section of this prayer here in Luke for thankfulness. But I think by context, thankfulness is implied in every section. Look again at verse three, for example. He says, give us each day our, our daily bread. Having firmly established that all of our prayers primarily have the purpose of glorifying God, we are to ask God to glorify himself by meeting our basic needs. You ever think of your prayer life that way? It glorifies God to meet our needs. That's why we pray, to glorify God. We were just praying a few moments ago between services for the dear folks in California. Thousands have lost property, perhaps even hundreds have lost their very lives. We ought to pray for rain for those people out there. Do you think it would glorify God if God's people humbled themselves and asked for rain and he sent it? Sure it would. And this is how we pray. Lord, it would glorify you. So give us this day our daily bread. As we've established bread, which I think is significant not only of food, but all of our basic needs of life, food, clothing, and shelter. These are the essential requirements for sustained existence. And when we ask God for daily bread, we are recognizing some things about God and some things about ourselves that need to be talked about. First of all, when we say, give us this day our daily bread, we are recognizing that God has the ability to provide. Does God have the ability to meet your needs? Yes, he has created an incredible variety of foods. He has given us fertile soil to grow our crops. He has given abundant water. I could go on and on. My, my favorite grocery store is going out of business. The one next to my house. And that's been very disappointing to me because it's a small grocery store. I don't like going in the huge ones. I'm just overwhelmed by choices. And, and you walk in and just, just aisles and aisles of one product. And you go the next and it's another product. And on it goes seemingly endlessly, but what a problem to have. That's a first world problem, isn't it? Too many choices of what food to eat. Well, that's what we face every time we go to the grocery store. And the next time you go to the grocery store, instead of being frustrated with the lack of cashiers 
or, or a misplaced item or a coupon that they deny, as you're walking through the halls of, of that store, say, Lord, thank you for your provision. What a gracious God you are to let us live in a place with such abundance. He is able to provide. We recognize that when we pray. But secondly, more importantly, we recognize his willingness to provide. It's one thing to have the ability to provide. It's another thing to be willing to provide. We know God is able, but he's also willing. How do we know? Paul says that he is able to give everything exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Well, that's ability. What about his, his willingness? Well, Jesus says he knows how to feed the birds of the air and the, clothe the flowers of the field, how much your heavenly Father cares for you. And he's very intentional of using that word Father because we all know there's not a Father on planet Earth who's a true Father, who's a good Father, who begrudges meeting his children's needs. My children come to me and they say, Daddy, we're hungry. I go, oh, you were hungry yesterday. <laughs> no, we look for something to eat. They're cold, we find them a coat. This is what fathers do and this is what Jesus is. Look, your heavenly father is not a miser. He's not pinching pennies. He wants to give good gifts. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. How many of you being evil know how to give good, give good gifts to your children? You wouldn't give your child a, a rock when he asked for a loaf of bread. What about your father? He's much better than any of those Pharisees. So it tells us about God. He's able to provide and that he's willing to provide. But thirdly, it tells us something about ourselves that we need to be reminded of every day. And that is we are totally dependent upon him. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. We didn't do any of it. One of my favorite old movies is a movie starring James Stewart called Shenandoah. And it's sort of a parable of the book of Job set in the Civil War era. And at the very beginning of it, this man in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia has a beautiful farm. He's cleared the land. He has a beautiful family, but as the war goes on, he loses all of that. Many of his children die through the war. He loses his farm. Well, the beginning scene, he's sitting around this abundant table of food that was grown on his farm. And he says the blessing because he promised his sainted wife he would on her deathbed. And this is what he prayed. He said, Lord, we tilled the land we planted the crops, we worked it, we harvested it. It's all because of us, but thank you anyway. <laughs> That's how a lot of people pray. That's how the Pharisee prayed in Jesus' story of the Pharisee and the public. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I fast, I give alms to the poor, look at me. At the end of the movie, when he lost all of that, he prayed a very humble prayer. Remember, we'll either humble ourselves under the hand of God or, or he'll humble us. So, so there's three points I want to make today as we finish up this three-week study on the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Number one is this, pray for bread and go to work. Pray for bread and go to work. Here's what I mean. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, does that mean we pray that prayer 
that the Lord would meet our needs and then sit down in our rocking chair and wait for food to appear on our plate. No. We say, well, that's what he did for the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness, manna from heaven. Well, a couple things about that. That was a very unusual circumstance in that these people had to leave in a hurry. They had no way of preserving food for 40 years. They couldn't cultivate the land as they were on the move. And so the Lord did send manna from heaven. That term manna from heaven has become part of our own vernacular. Someone finds a $20 bill on the ground. Oh, manna from heaven. Now, God did send every day food for them. Did you notice they had to go out and collect it? They had to, to work for it, in other words. This almost always is God's means to answering the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. How does he meet our basic needs for food, clothing, and shelter? By giving us the ability to work. He gives us minds that think clearly and can be creative and produce a product. He gives us strong bodies that we can provide a service or meet a need that we can be compensated for. You say, well, what about those who don't have a good mind or a strong body? How does he meet the needs of those who are unable to work? By the generosity of those who are. That's basically God's economic strategy for the world. That those with good minds and healthy bodies work hard so that they can provide for their own needs and the needs of their families and make enough so that they can help those who are less fortunate. That's it. So, Pray for bread, yes, and go to work. And when you get your paycheck on Friday, rather than bemoaning all the deductions, thank the Lord for your job. When you check out at the grocery store, thank the Lord for the ability to pay for it. And certainly before you take a bite of your meal, thank the Lord because he made it all possible. I told you the story before, but maybe some of you missed it. My three-year-old Liza, and I'm getting right at the end of being able to tell these stories because she's the youngest and will soon be in church. About a year ago, my wife and I had an early morning meeting. And so one of the grandmothers came over to get the kids ready and we had already left the house. And so Liza woke up to find her Mimi there instead of her mother. And so Mimi got a bowl out of the pantry and poured a bowl of cold cereal and milk and gave Eliza a spoon. And Eliza started eating. And Mimi said, now, now Eliza, we haven't had the blessing yet. We haven't thanked the Lord. And Eliza never missed a beat. She kept eating. She says, we only pray for hot food around here. And that's a funny story, but it really cuts to the heart that in all things be thankful, right? Not just when it's what you want, but it's when it's what you need. And we need to be thankful every day and teach our children to be thankful. Now, there are other needs that God has also made provision for beyond the physical, really more importantly, the spiritual. We must be thankful for our salvation, which is through the means of the forgiveness of sins. So, secondly, pray for forgiveness and forgive. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
Now, the Bible clearly teaches that all humans are sinners and fall short of God's glory. Now, most of us know what it means to come up short at the end of the month. In financial terms, it means you had incurred a debt. Well, the Bible indicates in a number of areas that when we sin, we incur a sin debt that is owed to God. The problem is we can never hope to pay it off. So, because he is benevolent, kind, and merciful, he sent his son to pay our debt, and he did so on the cross. Jesus told a very wonderful parable to illustrate that point. Listen to it. Jesus is, is speaking to a large group. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. And so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back all he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed with him. So, the point is this. When you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread and go to work. And when you pray, Lord, forgive me my sins, then you forgive others. Thirdly and finally, pray for deliverance and run. Last week we looked at the phrase at the end of the model prayer, lead us not into temptation. It is, I believe, simply a prayer for protection because we know, as we saw last week, according to the book of James, God would never entice us to sin. James says, don't ever say when you sin, God tempted me because he doesn't tempt, neither is he tempted. But we need to pray for God's protection from temptation, not just once a day, but multiple times a day because temptation is ubiquitous. That is, it is everywhere and all around us. Puts me in mind of something the Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus. He said, walk circumspectly. To circumscribe something means to make a circle, 360 degrees. It's the idea that when we're out in the world and we're walking our path in life, there is danger and temptation on every side. So we can't take a break. We can't let down our guard for a second. This is what Peter said in one of his epistles, that Satan is like a lion roaming about, seeking who he can destroy. He's skulking in the grass. He's looking for an area of weakness or an area of vulnerability, or he's waiting for you to take a break, to fall behind the crowd, or to let down your guard in the least little way, and that's when he pounces. So, 
when we pray, lead us not into temptation, is this prayer a sort of invisibility cloak whenever temptation is near? Oh, there's temptation. Let me put on this magic formula so that I don't see it. No, that's not it at all. At least I don't think that's it. Rather, it is a prayer that God would enable us to overcome temptation. And do you know what God's prescription for overcoming temptation is? It's not machismo. It's not spiritual steroids. It's not rebuking Satan. It's not going on the offensive. God's strategy for you overcoming temptation is a strategic retreat. And if you study military history long enough, you know there are sometimes it's right to fight and sometimes it's the most appropriate thing to do is run. And when it comes to temptation, most often the right strategy is to run from it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be enabled to endure it. That is, he gives you an out. He gives you the opportunity to go the other direction. I always think of the godly young man, Joseph of the Old Testament, book of Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers, sold into slavery in the house of an Egyptian man named Potiphar. And he was such a trustworthy young man. Potiphar elevated him to the highest level in his house and his wife, wanted to take advantage of him sexually. She seduced him and she tempted him and finally found himself alone with her in the house and she grabbed him and said, lie with me. And you know what he did? He ran. He's smart. When it comes to sexual sin particularly, this is the best strategy. I know so many young people who say, I I wanna keep myself pure for my wedding day and I'm gonna draw this line in the sand And this is as far as I'm ever going to go sexually. And then they put their toes right up against the line and lean over. That's not what it means to flee fornication. By the way, that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee fornication. Flee immorality. Flee temptation. Draw the line in the sand and get as far away from it as you can. Run. Pray for God's protection, but run when he gives you the avenue of escape. Now, this title is Everyday Thankfulness. And I, and I say it that way because, you know, even lost people have a thanksgiving on their calendar. E- even the most profane person you know likely is going to take a day off work Thursday. And e- even the most ungrateful person you know is likely to have even a little twinge of gratitude for living in such a wonderful and abundant place as we do. I'm talking to Christians here today. Thankfulness is not to be a once a year or even once a quarter or once in a while thing. It's to be really the attitude of our life. And just as Jesus, when he taught these disciples how to pray, was not saying, here's how you do it to be most effective. He says, this is to be your lifestyle. This is everyday thankfulness because I don't know about you, but I have physical needs every day. 
when I get up in the morning, there'll be things that, that I need to sustain existence. And so that's why it says, give us this day our daily bread. How is he likely to answer that prayer? By giving you the, the good mind and the strength to work so that you can take care of your own needs, the needs of your family and those who are less fortunate. Not only do we need physical provision every day, if you're like me, you need forgiveness every day. I'd love to tell you, I go weeks and weeks without sinning. It'd be a lie. I sin constantly. I'm like Paul in Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver you from this body of death? I have to keep coming back to the Lord for that, not a new salvation experience. I don't fear that he's going to remove his salvation. I want intimacy and fellowship with him, and I know I can't have that closest to him if I have unconfessed sins. That's why Jesus says you've got to have your feet washed every day to come into my presence. And then thirdly, we need protection from temptation, not just daily, but constantly. It's everywhere. You won't make it to your car today without facing temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us. Show us that avenue of escape and then give us feet to run from it. As God answers those three prayers, then we should and will live in a state of thankfulness every day of the year. Let's pray to help us do that, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this nation that we live in. And Father, sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches. Even going to the grocery store is an exercise in difficult choices. And we also know, Lord, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so, Lord, we want to be good stewards. We don't want to be greedy. In fact, we want to be thankful. We know that you rejoice in a thankful heart. From, from the lepers that Jesus healed to um, those who were forgiven sins. Lord, the right attitude when we encounter your goodness is, is gratefulness, gratitude. So Father, when things are going well, help us to have our first thought to give you the praise for it. Then we're anxious and fearful, help us to run to you and give you thanks for your presence and provision. Whether the prevailing winds are favorable or against us, Lord, we know that you never change. Lord, we want to be thankful for everyday blessings. We want to be thankful for spiritual blessings. And Father, we want to thank you when you give us an avenue of escape from temptation. Help us to be thankful every day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.